All right, man. My first big question for you, given these two big rulings on DACA and on worker protections for queer people, on a scale of like one to oh my goodness, how big of a week was this for the Supreme Court? Oh, this was an oh my goodness week. Okay, okay. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, a look at big decisions from the Supreme Court and Black Lives Matter in the UK. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. As my Aunt Betty just said, we have a lot to talk about this episode. Seems like there's so much happening right now, and it's all happening all at once. The Supreme Court has expanded the rights of not just one, but two marginalized groups this week, DACA recipients and LGBTQ workers across the country. And at the same time, protests continue across the globe on behalf of another marginalized community, black and brown people victimized at the hands of the police. What does it mean when all this change seems to be happening all at the same time? This episode, we'll try to explore that. To start, let's make sense of what exactly the Supreme Court did this week. Mark Joseph Stern covers the courts and the law for Slate. He was the voice you heard at the top of the show. I called up Mark to ask him what these rulings actually mean and whether we really understand just how big of a deal they are. So I want to break down both of these cases quickly, and then I want to get big picture and talk about what these rulings say about the court right now, about the Trump White House right now, and kind of about all of us. But in a very quick wrap up, what is this DACA ruling and what does it say? So the DACA ruling is a five to four decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts and joined by the liberals that says, look, Donald Trump could rescind DACA. It's an executive program. Obama started it. Trump can end it. But if Trump wants to end it, he has to do it right. Uh, And one of the things he has to do is provide a good, clear, reasoned explanation for ending the program. And he has to follow a series of procedural rules um, to make sure that he's not doing it in an arbitrary and capricious way. And so this Mm. does not mean that DACA will now be around forever. What it means is that if Trump still wants to repeal it, he has to start from the beginning. He has to do a do-over. And this time he has to provide good reasons for ending it, and he has to follow the rules. So in a sense, kind of a narrow decision, but if you're one of the more than 700,000 DACA beneficiaries who is waiting for this ruling, it is uh, just really earth-shaking in the best possible way. Yeah. You know, speaking of Roberts and this idea that I keep hearing about this week that Roberts with this ruling shows he's kind of just tired of the Trump White House, I want to get back to that. Uh, But I first want to have you explain briefly uh, what this SCOTUS ruling on employment protections for L LGBTQ people actually means as well. Yeah, so another huge decision and um, one that had a very unexpected lineup with Justice Neil Gorsuch writing the opinion, joined by Chief Justice Roberts and the liberals. And yeah, Gorsuch, who was handpicked by Trump. Yes, that's right, to fill the seats that Republicans held open for more than a year, precisely to avoid decisions like this one. Um, and basically yeah. what Gorsuch said was the Civil Rights Act of 1964 bars discrimination because of sex in the workplace. 
And when employers discriminate against gay people or transgender people, they are inherently taking their sex into account. And that's exactly what the law says you can't do. So, you know, if a male employee marries another man and gets fired, but a different male employee marries a woman and gets to stay on the job, what was the difference between those two employees? It was their sex. That's the only difference. And Gorsuch says, so this is sex discrimination. Not that hard to figure out. We don't really care what Congress thought in 1964. The words of the statute are the law. And so this is sex discrimination and LGBTQ people are protected under federal law. Mm. You know, with both these cases, besides kind of just giving the administration a black eye, because we know where the White House stands on both of these issues, it also complicates some actual things they were trying to do. Uh, Earlier this week, the Trump White House uh, announced some new guidelines that would restrict some LGBTQ rights. And they've been trying to and talking about dismantling DACA for years How severely will these rulings limit what the Trump White House can do politically between now and the election on these two issues? Well, on DACA, you know, the process of winding down DACA was always going to take some time. The Trump administration always said that they would basically just stop renewing DACA beneficiaries' permits. And so it seems like if Trump doesn't get reelected, then DACA will stay. Like, I just don't think Trump has enough time to repeal DACA over the next couple of months. Um, Mm. With regard to the LGBTQ cases, I think you're absolutely right to wonder what impact these cases have on Trump's agenda. And I think the answer is a totally devastating impact because one of the major initiatives of the Trump administration has been to reinterpret a bunch of different federal laws to actually allow discrimination against transgender people. These are all laws that bar sex discrimination. And the Trump administration said, well, sex discrimination is totally different from trans discrimination. So none of these laws say anything about trans people. So we're just going to make sure that everyone can discriminate against trans people. And the Supreme Court just told the Trump administration, you are wrong. Basically, Mm. every law that says there can't be sex discrimination also protects transgender people. And so when Trump tries to roll back the Affordable Care Act's protections for transgender people, I think that's out. I think that's obviously null and void. Uh, Trump has tried to revoke protections in education for transgender people. I think that's out. Same story in housing. Just all across the spectrum, the Trump administration has been building up this theory that the Supreme Court just kind of blew up. And so I think this is quite devastating to, again, one of Trump's main goals, which was to repeal every federal protection for trans people that exists. Wow. I want to talk a little bit more about Neil Gorsuch, who has surprised everybody this week uh, with this textual interpretation of the Civil Rights Act to be part of a ruling that is exactly the kind of ruling that Trump did not pick him for. Um, how big is that? How big is Gorsuch and what he's doing? And does this actually take away one of Trump's arguments for reelection, that he can make the Supreme Court truly conservative? It's really big. It's huge. Um, and Neil Gorsuch presented himself as a true textualist, okay? The kind yeah. of guy who only looks at the words of a statute and nothing else. 
But if you're a human being, it is hard to do that without letting your own prejudices and biases enter the picture, right? This was something that Justice Scalia really grappled with. I felt like, especially toward the end of his life, Scalia's opinions were much less textualist and much more about reaching the result he wanted. So this Mm. was a case where it really was a battle over textualism, because if you only read the words of the Civil Rights Act, it does seem clear that LGBTQ people are protected because you just can't take sex out of sexual orientation. You can't take sex. It's literally in the word. It's in the word, exactly. (laughs) And it's really baked into this kind of discrimination. So that was Gorsuch's argument. And also... You know, even Scalia acknowledged that laws can cover a lot more than their drafters ever anticipated they would. And this is just Mm. one of those instances where Congress wrote a super broad law and shocker, it has super broad applications. Hmm. Also, I mean... Why even try to figure out what folks in 64 were thinking about 2020 when everyone here in 2020 can't figure out what 2020 means? <laughs> Who knows what today means? But exactly. I digress. Exactly. No, I think um, that's a great point. And if I could just add one thing, yeah. no one in 1964, no one who voted for this law thought that it banned sexual harassment in the workplace. Okay, the Supreme mm. Court did not even acknowledge that it banned sexual harassment in the workplace until 1986, decades later. Wow. So if we wow. only looked at what congressmen thought in 1964, this would be a largely toothless statute. And I don't think that's really what the Civil Rights Act was supposed to be. I think that law was supposed to have teeth. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about Gorsuch as a surprise, but Roberts shows yet again, he's been a surprise for years. Right. Right. Upholding Obamacare repeatedly, um, now siding against the Trump administration repeatedly. It's hard to figure out who John Roberts is and what he wants. He's just like a, a fascinating case study in a totally opaque and seemingly mild-mannered person who apparently has some kind of deep reserve of independence that he only draws upon like three times a year. And this year, he's already done it several times. Last question for you. When the ruling came out Monday about worker protections for LGBTQ people, I said to myself, wow, this is a really big deal. Maybe it's even bigger than marriage equality because a lot more queer people want to have a job than want to get married. But it felt like all week America didn't stop and pause long enough to say how big of a deal it is. Do you feel like we have accepted the magnitude of that ruling, of these two rulings this week? And if not, why? So with regard to the LGBTQ ruling, all reliable polling indicates that a sizable majority of Americans already thought that was the law. So most Americans oh. <laughs> already thought that it was illegal to discriminate against LGBTQ employees all across the country. And so wow. I think one of the reasons that it had a somewhat muted reception is that a lot of folks were just surprised that the ruling even had to exist. They were like, what? Mm. This was legal <laughs> like two hours ago? What is happening? Um, <laughs> yeah. And and I think, you know, the, the marriage equality battle in, in so many ways was fought in the, the court of public opinion. And mm. these employment cases are not as romantic or life and death as the marriage cases. With DACA, I mean, you know, DACA affects about 700,000 people 
for those 700,000 people and the communities uh, they live and work in, it's a huge victory. But I suspect if you're a white dude in Idaho, you probably don't know any dreamers. And this Mm. case probably isn't going to mean a lot to you. Yeah. I will say, like, I can't wait to, like, 30 or 40 years from now, have, like, I don't know, a niece or nephew come to me with their history book from grade school with, like, the whole three chapters on 2020. (laughs) <laughs> and I'll be like, I was there and it felt like a whole decade. Oh, All of the things happening all at once. All constantly. And now we have to figure out once again who John Roberts is. This is probably one of the most powerful people in, in government, if not the most powerful. John Roberts sits at the head of the entire federal judiciary. And so it's like 2020 is crazy. But with John Roberts at the head of the judiciary, it could get crazier. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> I truly knows? no longer know which way he's going to come out on a lot of these cases when I really thought I had the guy's number. Man. Next season on Real Housewives of SCOTUS. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Thank you so much for this chat. I really love it when a smart reporter like yourself can make really hard stuff sound really easy. You made it plain for me. Thank you, sir. Uh, Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Mark Joseph Stern. He covers courts and law for Slate. As Mark said, that DACA ruling and that LGBTQ worker protection ruling, they're both really big, but neither is quite permanent. In fact, President Trump announced this Friday that he'd try to dismantle DACA again after that ruling came down. This comes as really no surprise to my next guest. Her name is Tobore Owe. She came to the U.S. from Nigeria as a child. She grew up in Maryland, and she now lives in Los Angeles, where she is a floral designer. Tobere has had DACA since 2013, almost since it began. And she says for years now, she's just had to make peace with being a DACA recipient and living in limbo and being used, in her opinion, by both parties playing politics. So, Tobere, I'm guessing this is uh, we are talking Thursday morning. There's just been a big Supreme Court ruling upholding DACA. You're a DACA recipient. How are you feeling today? Um, I definitely woke up to several messages from friends, family. Um, everyone was super happy. I'm in a great mood, you know, just grateful for the little wins, really. Little wins. How big of a win do you think this is? I mean, is this, for me, seeing the ruling, I'm saying, oh, that's a big deal. But for someone who is a recipient of the program, how big of a deal is it for you? It's definitely a step in the right direction, but as much as I am excited, I'm not getting overly excited because I still know that I am still a pawn in a immigration battle and um, it is still going to be a roller coaster ride for me. So um, I'm just keeping all of that in mind. Yeah. I want to unpack more this idea of feeling like folks like you, DACA recipients, are pawns being used by the government. Talk about what you mean with that and talk about how that feels, because I imagine on top of just being worried about your status in this country, you have to also think about how people like you are, you know, forced to be in the headlines all the time. You know, as much as I am grateful for DACA and it has brought a lot of opportunities my way, feeling like a pawn is not a good feeling at all. It just feels like you didn't really care about us, you know, because when you make these little wins, you feel like, okay, someone's listening, someone cares. But then when you get slapped with, okay, well, there's no path to citizenship, 
unless there's a wall built, you're kind of like, okay, so you didn't genuinely do this. Um, it just makes me feel like, are the Democrats doing enough to um, make this happen for us? Are they in on this? Like, do you think they're so using many- you as well? I mean, I mean, like a lot I'm of folks gonna, have talked about Trump. I'm not necessarily going to say that, but, you know, it, it feels it feels like it sometimes. And, you know, I'm not I'm not stupid. <laughs> you know, I know it's all a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, being a pawn feels it's like a roller coaster ride for us. Like you said, we're constantly in the it's, it's a story about us. But then it's like we're used in a story to get this done. And it's like, guys, I'm a person, you know, like mm. this is my real life that mm. you're playing with. You know what I mean? That's hard. Well, and, you know, speaking of real life, like this must be a very interesting week to be a black woman who was also a DACA recipient. Because in the same week we have the Supreme Court ruling on your immigration status, there are also still ongoing protests and conversations about the way black men and women are treated in this country by police. Right. Does it feel like, I don't know, is it just emotional overload for you right now? (laughs) Well, I call it a triple whammy. (laughs) Okay, explain. Um, first, you have to deal with just going outside and being a black person, you know, um, so you have a race issue there. Then I am a woman. Um, then you get into sexism on that. And then on top of that, being undocumented, I share all the time that it feels like America tries so hard to make me feel unwanted, make me feel like I don't matter. Um, it's a constant message every day. Yeah. Does the ruling this week from the Supreme Court make you feel a bit less unwanted by America? No. (laughs) I'm not new to this. I know the games. I know know there's a system. So I'm just looking forward to what happens after this. Like, what's the moves? So Mm. as much as I am excited, I just want to see real progress. Are you hopeful for real progress? Yes, I'm always hopeful. Okay. We have to be hopeful. Um, I mean, if you lose hope, then you have nothing, you know. We've been hopeful for over 400 years, right? (laughs) As Black Mm. people, you know, just on that level. Mm. So we're doing the same thing we've always done. Just don't dim your light. Thanks again to Toberay Owe for joining us. Also, listeners, our friends over at NPR's Code Switch podcast, they have been checking in with one of the plaintiffs in that DACA case for a few years now. They actually met up with her this week after she heard the news about that Supreme Court ruling. You can hear their discussion with her on a brand new episode from Code Switch right now. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we talk about what Black Lives Matter looks and feels and sounds like across the pond. BRB. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Protests over racial injustice are spreading across the country while a pandemic continues to take its toll. The next weeks and months are leading to a consequential election this November. And every day, the NPR Politics Podcast is here to discuss how it could reshape your world. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. This episode, we are talking about how, in some ways, it feels like everything is happening right now all at once. 
two big Supreme Court rulings this week, expanding the rights of DACA recipients and LGBTQ employees. And yeah, coronavirus is still around. And protests against police brutality, those are still happening too. We have talked a lot about those protests on this show, but really only in the American context. But of course, as a lot of you know by now, those protests have been popping up all over the world. So I called up an old friend of the show who lives in the UK and asked her what it's been like where she lives. Hello there. Can you hear me? Hey, I can. How's it going? Hey, Sam. How you doing? Long time. I'm good. That is a voice of Long Candice Carty-Williams. She is the author of the acclaimed book, Queenie. So in the book, Queenie, uh, the character Queenie, uh, this black British woman, she is figuring out her love life, her work life, uh, but also she's grappling with the Black Lives Matter movement in that book and yes. how some of her friends who aren't black are processing that stuff. And I have been wondering this week what you think Queenie would be doing right now and saying right now as these protests have become front of mind again. Uh, right. Well, I've been thinking that Queenie is still, I mean, like, you know, Queenie, she's moved on in her life, but obviously her values are still, you know, still very firm. Um, and I think that Queenie mm-hmm. would be doing everything she could at that newspaper to get things like front page. You know, one thing that we've had over here definitely is the newspaper. So I talk about it in the context of a newspaper because that's where Queenie works. But the newspapers have not been very favourable when it comes to the protesters. Mm. Um, And also in terms of, you know, it also being a global pandemic, um, there is so much discourse around the fact that if there's a second spike, then it's going to be the fault of these Black Lives Matter protesters. But also when there was like a Queen's coronation or similar, I don't really keep up with the monarchy here, And lots of people were outside their houses celebrating and doing like conga lines. And it was like, but you sent BBC reporters there to almost celebrate it. So Mm -hmm. the languaging... (laughs) So what's up with that? Right? So the language and the positioning around how, you know, like black lives are seen is always going to be different. And so I think Queenie would be trying to make sure that didn't happen. I know she would. She's good like that. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. You know, for me, it's been really interesting, especially over the last week, uh, to see how these protests have become global. Mm. And I wonder what it's like to experience this as a black person in different parts of the world. I think so much of the black American experience is centered on our Americanness, mm-hmm. but there, this movement is very black and also very global at this point. And I kind of wonder, I don't know, like, how does it feel different to see it there as opposed to here? And there's no way to know, but I'm guessing your perspective is different there. Well, I think, you know, we've seen, so we've had our riots here before, but then understanding the riots in America, they are way more violent to the protesters. We don't have tear gas, we don't have rubber bullets, we don't have all of those things that are used on American rioters. Um, And so, you know, I think here, you know, you have your placards and you can march peacefully and you can sort of opt in, opt out. But in America, it feels like it's like you've got to be all in and you've got to be ready for for danger. It's terrifying. But it also feels like, you know, what I will say is that the American um, police system for black people, it's always to me felt like you're going to be in danger anyway. You know, whether you're playing with a toy in a park or you're in your bed. So, wow, you know? Yeah. It is so interesting in this moment 
as these protests capture the world's attention to think about how the rest of the world sees us. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the scenes that I have seen coming out of major American cities, it just feels like, oh, I don't, I haven't expected to see those kind of scenes in America. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it's embarrassing, but I don't think it's a good look for America right now. <laughs> but I don't see it though. I see it as a very passionate group of people who are. Yeah, I mean, who yeah. Are, who but I'm are, talking more you know, about like the response of police, you know? Oh my God, like, your police system is pathetic. It's embarrassing. It's awful. Ours is also horrific, but yours, terif- it's terrifying. When I've been over to America, which I've been a handful of times now, when I see the police, knowing I've done nothing wrong, I still. I'm like, ooh, like I still move. I wow. just move wow. immediately. Just even as a black woman knowing that like, I'm just like commuting. So yeah, I think the, I mean, the American police system, I can't, you know, what can I say on it? Because like, I'm a British, that like, I live in Britain. Um, but I still know that when I am, when I am there, I feel afraid. Yeah, yeah. It is so interesting to hear you say that because I think that like, so much of American life for all Americans is assuming that the American way of life is just the way everyone else does it. Mm. And I think the last few weeks of protests and seeing how this stuff has played out in other parts of the world and what y'all are doing and not doing, it shows that in many ways America is an outlier on some of these issues. And that's just weird for me to process as like someone who is, you know, I don't know, team America all the way. Like we are in a weird place right now and it's on, it's on vivid display for the whole world. But I also wonder how growing up in that, like what that's done to you as a person and what that's done to your psyche. I don't feel as afraid as I felt in America. And I can't imagine living in that constant state of, you know, that person that I've seen on the news could be me, could be my child. And, you know, it's something that I think about. I think like, oh, I'd love to move to America. Like That's one of my plans. But I'm also like, but do I want to raise children in America because they're going to be black? Mm. Yeah. One of the things I keep wondering in this moment is how this round of protests became so global so quickly. You know, there are Black Lives Matter protests happening in, I think, most of the continents, all over in strange pockets of the globe that you wouldn't expect. And when the movement began a few years ago, that really wasn't the case. Mm. What do you think about now that made this wave of protest truly global? So my theory has been from the beginning that it's because lockdown means so many of us cannot distract ourselves with real life, that we have to li- mm. we have to sit and look at what's going on. And I think that people have also demanded that people who aren't looking at what's going on look and pay attention to mm. it and talk about it. And I really, truly believe that if life were just going as it was, um, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, it's basically evidenced right because we have seen mm. this before we have seen just f- for yeah. f- look at eric garner what happened there you know exactly. like and and what and so what sad. change happened yeah and what happened to the men who who killed him you know so mm-hmm. um i think this time it's sad to say but i think it's because we have nowhere else to look yeah yeah last question about this queenie if she were here right now experiencing this moment what message would she want to give to the general public? What would her message to the world be right now, watching this all play out? I think her message to the world would be that looking inside 
of ourselves is really important and being kind and doing the right thing is important because obviously Queenie is, uh, she's queen of introspection. Um, and so <laughs> it's about looking inside and it's about thinking about the world that you want to grow up in and also what you want to say that you did in this time. Yeah, I like that. I like that. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we play my favorite game, Who Said That?, with Candice Cardi-Williams, a special UK edition. Also, a quick favor to ask listeners, can you help us out here? We are doing a big push for the show this month. Uh, so if you enjoy it, if you like what you're hearing, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcast. Even if you don't like us, it's fine too. Just review us. Something about y'all reviewing the show helps us get discovered by new listeners. I don't know how that magic works, but it does. So uh, hook us up, okay? Appreciate it. All right, BRB. Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. I'm Gregory Warner with NPR's Rough Translation. This is happening in America, but it's also happening all across the globe. George Floyd, he is not lost in vain because he saved lives of people in this country. What George Floyd means around the world. Next time on Rough Translation. All right, now I'm going to ask you to play a game with me. Uh, Some weeks I play this game with two panelists. Sometimes I play it with one person. But the game is called Who Said That? And basically... I share three quotes from the week, and you have to guess who said it. And we choose weird, wacky, strange quotes to lighten the mood and have some fun and have a few laughs about the week. So if you'll indulge me, we will play this game together. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, There are no buzzers. There are no timers. Just literally yell out the answer if you think you have it. The first quote is, I want a world in which we send you Marmite and you send us Vegemite. Who said that? Who is that? Is, so, do we mean that? You see, look, I'm really bad at this. Is it, is it like a person who said this? It's a person who said it, a leader in your nation, oh, talking Jesus. about a possible trade deal this week. Is it, is it Boris Johnson? Yes, it is. Oh. You haven't seen this video yet? No, do you know what? He makes me so angry that I cannot engage in anything that he says or does. I just have to see on Twitter that he says that. And I say, yeah, of course he said that. It was it was so interesting. Let me tell you what happened. So Boris Johnson now is pushing for a post-Brexit trade deal with Australia and New Zealand. And so he went online to make a video promoting a trade deal. And he talks about Marmite and Vegemite. And then he holds up a bag of Tim Tams. Tim Tams, how long can the British people be deprived of the opportunity to uh, have uh, Arnott's Tim Tams at uh, a reasonable price. Do you know there what annoys me, right? I have Tim Tams in my house because I bought them from a Target in LA. So we don't even have access to Tim Tams here. So you should chat your rubbish. You see how many chats rubbish? I had to go and get my Tim Tams and bring them over from Los Angeles in Target. This guy. Also, what are Tim Tams? What oh are Tim Tams? Tim Please Tams, tell me. Sam, Tim Tams are so delicious. They're like, a, so they're basically like a chocolate biscuit that is like encased in more chocolate. They're like plain or you can have caramel ones. I would implore you to go to your local Target and <laughs> buy some. All right. This next quote is from 
this side of the pond, it's about a very big, iconic brand that is making some changes given the last few weeks of protest. The quote is, while work has been done over the years to update the brand in a manner intended to be appropriate and respectful, we realize those changes are not enough. They continue, we are starting by removing the image and changing the name. Oh my God, I think I know this one. It's, um, the, the, is it like maple, no, it's not maple syrup, it's, what is it? It's the woman on the front. Is it maple syrup or it's something like that? It's syrup, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. I will give it to you. It's the syrup lady, Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima, yes. Yes. I thought this, yes. I knew this, because also Aunt Jemima, <laughs> when I go to Jamaica, they sell lots of Aunt Jemima products. I'm always like, ah, this feels a bit weird. This isn't right. Okay. <laughs> it's a little yes. weird. I knew it. I so knew it. It's, it. it's amazing to see it happen now, because for years, Quaker Foods has faced pressure over this logo and this name, because the logo and the name are directly linked to, like, minstrel shows. Yes. So the backstory <laughs> is the founders of this brand first hired a former slave to portray Aunt Jemima at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. Oh and then after that, um, the character was played in a radio series by a white actress who had done blackface on Broadway. And the whole brand has its roots in a 19th century minstrel song called Old Aunt Jemima. Oh, my God. So now she's finally leaving. She's finally going away. Goodbye. Do not let the door hit you on your way out. How awful. Also, like, do we need anyone's face on food nowadays? Can we just move past that period? Just tell me what the food is. And I'll see if I want to eat it or not. I don't think I've ever needed a face on food to endorse it (laughs) for me. Yes. Yes. All right. uh, You've gotten two of these. This is the last one. This is about... This is about something going on kind of based in your neck of the woods. This is about a movie that's about to be made about a very, very famous person. The quote is, Oh, dear. We're very... (laughs) The quote is, We're very happy to have her. She's very committed. As a filmmaker, when you have someone who can hold such a weight, dramatic and narrative weight, just with her eyes, then you have the strong lead who can deliver what we are looking for. Who am I talking about? You were talking about whichever idiot cast Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kristen Stewart <laughs> has been tapped to play Princess Diana in an upcoming film about Princess Diana. That quote is from director Pablo Lorraine singing the praises of Kristen Stewart. Do you know what? Shout out to Kristen Stewart because I, Twilight, I had my time with it, you know? Okay. Like, she handled that. But, like, Princess Diana is a lot. My whole... I tell you what, when I was a child, I woke up and I could hear screaming, screaming, howling in my house. And I was like, who has died? And I was like, what's happened? And my nan was like, she's gone. And I was like, oh, my God, the first experience of family death. And I was like, who? And my nan was like, ah, Diana, she's gone. And you cannot tell me that Kristen Stewart is going to play that. I I just find it really weird because also... (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's because also it's just do someone unknown. Yeah. Because, like, it's Christian Stewart. Yes. Prayers up for Kristen Stewart. I don't want to be in her shoes right now. <laughs> Not at all. I just wouldn't take it, I don't think. I just, do you know what I mean? I just would be like, no, don't worry about it. But as, as I said, yeah. like, shout out to her. Twilight. Just, yeah. I, I, I did all of those films. Every single one. <laughs> Well, whether or not Kristen Stewart loses or wins with this new movie role, you have won this game. Can't believe uh, it. You got all three. 
Congratulations, Candy. I'm very, very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much uh, for talking about the heavy stuff and the light stuff this week. And listeners, check out her book, Queenie, right now. It's wherever you get your books. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Candice Cardi-Williams. If you want to hear more about Candice's novel, Queenie, which I devoured last year and loved, go check out my interview with Candice all about that book in our podcast feed. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag, and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions. Hi, Sam. This is John in Dallas, Texas. The best part of my last eight weeks was working remotely for part of the pandemic from my parents' house in Indiana. My mother has terminal cancer, and I never thought I'd get the chance to spend this much time with her again. Love you, Mom. Hi, Sam. This is Lainey from Oakland, California. And the best thing to happen to me this week is that we get to celebrate the first birthday of our identical twin girls. Hi, Sam. This is Alana in Minneapolis. And the best part of my week was volunteering at a church about uh, three blocks from the Minneapolis 3rd Police Precinct. Everyone, all of our neighbors who came by looking for food or toilet paper or diapers, we were able to get folks what they needed. So that was the best part of my week. Hey Sam, this is Joey from good old San Antonio, Texas. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I hit my five-year cancer-free mark. I was 20 when I was diagnosed with brain cancer, and since then, I went back to school, graduated with honors, and got a good job back here in San Antonio. My motto going through it all was be positive, so I love listening to this part of your show every week. Hi, Sam. This is Jennifer from Scottsdale, Arizona, and the best thing that happened to me this week was a number of things that gave me the inspiration to be able to actually record something and send it to you. I realized this week that things are really messed up and that it really is okay to not be okay. And it reminded me of the quote or the saying that just when the caterpillar thought the world was about to end, it became a butterfly. It gave me some much needed optimism and hope. So thank you, Sam, for all that you do. And thank you for the show. Bye. Thank you, Sam. Stay positive. Bye. Thanks to all the listeners you heard there. Jennifer, Joey, Alana, Lainey, and John. Don't forget you can be in this segment too. Record yourself on your phone sharing the best part of your week at any point throughout any week and just email that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right, this week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, and Andrea Gutierrez. Our editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And NPR's senior VP of programming is Anya Grunman. All right, listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. We'll talk soon.